All right, so let's learn. So, uh, you know, it took a little time for us to be able to get in this uh, second part of the series, getting ready for Abshim and for Lag Boimer. You know, sometimes, sometimes uh, there's Minias that gets in the way between us and Pim Satira, but Hashem. Okay, so, so this is, uh, we're going to call this a part two, but very loosely part two, okay? But let's just remind ourselves a little bit of what we learned last time in terms of Tyrus Rav Shimon Mechlal, what Rav Shimon really comes, what's unique about the way Rav Shimon goes over Pinyasa and what's unique to the Zara Kadesh Bechlal. So we'll just remind ourselves very quickly, manage for a couple minutes of what we talked about last time, and then we'll see tonight where we'll go, you know, where we're going to take it, which is a little bit more of a, you know, we'll see the, um, you know, the effects of, of the Giloy of Rav Shimon. So it's like this. What we talked about last time was that what's unique to the way Rabbi Shimon reveals the secrets of Tyra, as opposed to the way it was revealed before Rabbi Shimon, or the way it could have been revealed with other tzaddikim, not Rabbi Shimon, is that without Rabbi Shimon, the way to think of it would be that you have this lower world, you have life down here, which like I was talking about last night by Pesach Sheini, you know, with, uh, with all different uh, moving parts. So sometimes you're awake, sometimes you're sleeping, sometimes you're over here, sometimes you're over there. Sometimes, you know, uh, there's a baby in the womb, and then there's child, childhood, and then there's adulthood. There's a, a million different experiences that encompass life. And then there's the higher world. What's going on up there? I have no idea. A different language, different experiences, altogether different reality. There's this world down here with its unique nature and dynamics and experiences, and then there's the world above with its own nature and dynamics and realities and experiences. And maybe from this world we can gleam, we could sort of learn about the higher world in a way of a mashal to a nimshal and so on. But that's all not Rav Shimon. The real chiddush of Rav Shimon is, is that the way to perceive this world with all of its experiences, with all of its ups and downs, with all of its, you know, uh, multifaceted types of, types of dimensions, Everything down here is not a muscle to the world above. It's a part of the world above. It's the same reality up there, just moving its way down here, becoming more tangible, becoming more physical. But it's the same reality. It's the same reality. When a person goes to sleep down here, it's not the shot that sleeping, for example, down here is a muscle to some concept that exists in the world above. There's such a thing that's called sleeping down here. That means they're sleeping in the higher world as well. What is that? And when we physically go to sleep down here, that is a that is the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. It's a it's a in the process of this spiritual I call it, you know evolution or spiritual or de-evolution, moving from a high, the higher world of spirituality to the physical world, that whatever sleeping means up there, it materializes down here into what we describe and we experience as sleep. But what you're experiencing is the reality of what's going on above. It's the same thing. It's not mashal to a nimshal, like I was talking about last time, where you know the story of the boy who cries wolf is be'etzem insignificant, and the only point is the lesson that's learned from that story. But the story itself is, it can be thrown away once you get the lesson. Not so when it comes to this world versus the higher world. This world is not a muscle to the higher world. And once you figure out what's going on in the higher world, this world can be thrown away. That's, the Iker Chiddush of Rav Shimon is that this world 
is, a, and is an extension and a reflection of the higher world. And whatever you're experiencing down here is absolutely real on all levels and is absolutely necessary on all levels and not something just there, uh, you know, just there to teach you a lesson or to be used as a marshal. This is reality. And that's what we talked about last time, how Reb Shimon, in the, in the, between the Arizal and the Zarakavish, we had a little bit of a contradiction. Is Reb Shimon the one, is Reb Shimon great in, 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 in terms of his ability to reveal secrets? Or is he great in his ability to hide secrets and to, con- and to conceal the mysteries of Torah? And the answer is it's both. Because <clears throat> if, 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 you know, in the older way, before Reb Shimon, or without Reb Shimon, the idea is that the Talmidim are sitting around the Mekobal, and they're expecting for the Mekobal to take them some other place. That would be called revealing secrets. But Rishim is not taking you anywhere else. He's not taking you anywhere else. You're exactly where you are. But he's telling you and he's showing you that what you're experiencing down here is deeper than you think. And so that, on the one hand, is in a certain sense hiding secrets. Because like you're expecting to go to some other dimension, and he's not taking you to any other dimension. So on the one hand, that, that experience of Rishim can be described as one where he's not revealing secrets, he's hiding something, he's concealing something. But on the other hand, it's the greatest revelation of all. Because what you're experiencing, which is Mamish revealed to your eyes, is what Rabbi Shimon is revealing to you for what it is, which is uh, an extension of the higher world. So this is the Iker Nakud of Rabbi Shimon, and that's what Lagbaimer is about, that's what we talked about, that, that Lagbaimer is a yanta for all Jews, big, small, because every single one of us is experiencing our lives, and our lives are now real and significant, and extensions of the higher world based on the, the writings, based on the teachings of Rav Shem and based on the revelations of Rav Shem. So that's what we talked about last time. Okay. So now we're going we're gonna to see how that, how, that, how that idea, this idea of instead of seeing the higher world as one place and the world that we live in as a separate place that maybe can be used as a muscle to the higher world, as opposed, as opposed to what Rav Shimon is saying, is that, no, 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 the higher world and lower world are one entity, one reality, descending from spiritual to physical. We're going to see how this idea takes a particular angle in the power of Rav Shimon and the life of Rav Shimon. Okay, so you'll see what I mean. All right, everyone knows the story that Rav Shimon is in the cave for 12, 13 years, right? Okay. So what we're going to see in Marmokim number one, so the first Marmokim is from a letter that the Valatanya wrote, it's, it's, uh, a lot of his letters are printed in the back of Sefer Tanya, Kaidash, the 26th letter, Chavav, the 26th letter. This is a letter that Valatanya was writing to be mechazik, to encourage the learning of Gemara and Halacha. Okay, that's what Valatanya was writing about. And so in the middle of the, of the letter, the Valatanya talks about an interesting question, which is what was Rav Shimon learning in the cave? What was he learning in the cave? So probably the most obvious thing that, to think, that the answer would be probably during the Zayar, right? That's people like sort of, we, you know, Rav Shimon Lagbaimer, Zayar Kaddish, Rav Shimon in the cave, that's probably when he was learning the Zayar, when he was coming up with the Zayar, what everyone was being revealed. Listen to what the Valtani says. It's a very big It says the Valtani like this, again in that letter. Said the Valtani, you should know that when it comes to kashas and terutzim, the details and the depth of halacha, Eshkechan Barajbi, we find that Rav Shem Barichai, the Asik Beituva, Gam Beyosev Amara, says the Baltani, you should know, the Rav Shimon in the cave was Isaac very much in Nigla, in Halacha, in the revealed part of Tyra, Dafk in the cave. The Adarab, 
Adarabah. Says about Tani, not only was he involved also in halacha and in shas and in, 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 in nigla when he was in the cave, the opposite. Rabbi Shimon, when he comes out of the cave, he attributes the experience of the cave to his newfound greatness in learning halacha. Everyone knows the Gemara says that he comes out of the cave and he meets his father-in-law, Rabinchas ben Yar. And Rabinchas ben Yar sees him, how he's mamish, like broken and all uh, bruised and damaged from being in the cave for so many years. And Rabinchas ben Yar says, Oi, it's Rahmanis that I have to see you like this. And Rabinchas says, No. You're fortunate that you see me like this because if, you, if I didn't go through the cave and you didn't see me this broken, you wouldn't find in me what you can find in me now. And what could you find in me now? So you expect the, the Rav Shimon is going to say, Zayar, right? Kabbalah, Pinyin Satar. That's not what he says. What Rav Shimon says to his father-in-law is, and the Gemara explains, is that until pre-cave, any time Rav Shimon had a kash in learning in halacha, Rav Pinchas Benyar would give 12 answers. So Rav Pinchas Benyar was greater than him 12 times over. Mashenkin, on the other hand, after the cave, any kash that Rav Pinchas Benyar would ask, Rav Shimon would give 24 answers. But it's talking about in Nigla, talking about in halacha. So you see, the whole, the whole, the way the Bavli sees the whole experience of the cave is that the greatness of Reb Shimon and emerging out of the cave is his ability in learning halacha. Kedisa begemar, as the Gemara says, he quotes what we just said. That Reb Shimon says to Reb Pinchas ben Yar that Akol Pruki. That now he's able to give, to tell Reb Pinchas ben Yar twenty four answers in every one of his questions. And Rav Shimon says, that the reason why I'm able to do this now is because of my experience in the cave. So says the Tanya, so first of all, not only was Rav Shimon learning also Nigla in the cave, Adarabah, what he attributes, the power, you know, what he merges out of the cave, Rav Shimon himself attributes it to his power of Nigla. The Gam, and now says about Tanya, an amazing thing, the Gam Be'emes, the truth is, the truth is, you should know, not only was he also learning Nigla, the, the, main, the main preoccupation that, the, that the Rishimit and his son had in the cave must have been in learning Mishnais and learning Nigla, Tafresh Sidri. This is again before Rabbi Yudanasi came and codified Mishnais. Again, this is a little, he's referencing an idea that, we, that we've, it's, good, it's good to know. The concept of Mishnais was always, this goes back, even when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Harsinai and we had whatever level of Tarsh we had at the time, there was already an idea of, of organizing it in text form like Mishnayis. That's why, by the way, there's a Messiah that we have that, you know, every day in davening before Haidu, so the, the Minig of Klai says to say the Perak of Ezeel Mekayman. He's supposed to say Mishnayis every day, so we say the Perak of Ezeel Mekayman. Why Ezeel Mekayman? So one of the traditions is because that's a Perak that the tradition is, it goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu himself. That Moshe Rabbeinu, the text of that Perak of Ezeel Mekayman, that Parak of Mishnayis, go all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. So Rabbi Yudanasi, what Rabbi Yudanasi did is that he took all the thousands of Mishnayis that were floating around every, so every Tana had his own set of Mishnayis, right? When uh, uh, you know, when Rabbi Shmuel would teach his Talmidim, he taught them with his text of Mishnayis. When Rabbi Kiva taught his Talmidim, it was with his text of Mishnayis, and so on and so forth. What Rabbi Yudanasi did is that he took all of those sets of Mishnayis and unified them in one single set of Mishnayis and incorporated all the different opinions from all these other sets. So says the Tanya, by the time of Rav Shem which is before Rav Yudanasi, so there was tons of, of, of Mishnayis going, uh, floating around, right? And he says, Tav Shidri, the tradition is, there were 600 Siddharma of Mishnayis, not six, we have six Dharm, because for every Seder of Mishnayis, Rav Yudanasi took 10, you know, uh, uh, you know took 100 uh, Siddharma, 
100, there was like 100 Zeroyims out there floating around. And we honestly condensed it into one Seder of Zeroyim. But for every one of the starim that we have, every one of the six uh, sets of Mishnahis that we have, there was at the time, preceding Rabbi Yonasi, a hundred of each. So Rabbi Shem Reichai is, is learning in the, in the cave for 13 years, really. He's learning all of these Mishnahis. He's being Isaac and Nigla. All these Mishnahis that existed until Rabbi Yonasi came and, and, and sort of uh, condensed it into what we, what we have. And says the Tanya, De'ilu sefer zayv ratikunim. Because if Rab Shimon, if you're going to tell me that his main preoccupation was in the Zayar Kaddish and the Tikkuni Zayar, it doesn't take that long to learn all of Zayar. Two or three months, you'll be good to go. So Tanya says that. So obviously he could, he could do it probably, and he's, a, he's saying Rab Shimon. For the Tanya, it probably would take more than two or three months. He's saying for Rab Shimon already, two or three months is not so, not so long. But 13 years, uh, you know, it doesn't take that long. We could assume that he's not just repeating himself a million times over the 13 years. He wants to constantly new, learn new things. So Mastama says the Tanya must be that his main preoccupation was Enigla, which, which text-wise was much more vast than at the time what Pinu Satara was. Now the truth is, there's, um, there's um, the Monkatra, the, the Minchas Elazar, in a number of places in his Svarim, quotes this Tanya, and he says, you know, he doesn't understand what the Tanya is talking about. First, he says, first of all, may, okay, maybe it would only take two or three months to learn all the Zayar, but how long do you think it would take for Shimon to learn all these Mishnahis? Okay, so you're telling me that 600 starm, okay, that's a little bit more, it's a little bit more, so it would take a, a year? Uh, if, if, it takes, if it takes two or three months to learn all the Zayar, the Zayar is a full shelf. I mean, it's not, not small things, it's not, a small, uh, it's not a small amount. So, to extrapolate to 600 starm, still not 13 years, LMI, what was Rav Shimon doing? He's going in depth. He's going deeper and deeper and deeper. So you can say that for the Zara Kaddish too. Why is the Baal is focusing on how much text there is? That's the, that's the Minchas Elazar's point. But the Tanya says what he says, that the preoccupation of Rav Shimon Daka, Dafka was in Nigla. Now this, okay, so, okay, besides the Minchas Elazar's Ha'ara, but just the, the, the concept of it is a little bit surprising. It's not much surprising that, uh, why, why would Davka of all, of all things for Shimon to be Isaac and Shimon Rechai is the Baal Hilul of Lagvarim, it's all Pinu Satyra. What's the Pshat, the Taka, that in the cave he was always learning Nigla and that's all he was learning? So the answer is as follows. The answer is as follows. We know that there's a principle of Istakal Baraisa Bar Alma. Istakal Baraisa Bar Alma, that the Rabbanishon created the world as a reflection of what it is in Tyre. So as we said last time, and just I just has it over a minute ago, that the main Chiddush of Rav Shimon is what? The main Chiddush of Rav Shimon is not that there's a higher world and there's all sorts of stuff going on in the higher world. That you don't need Rav Shimon for. The main Chiddush of Rav Shimon is that the higher world and the lower world are one. And what's going on down here is not a muscle to some other dimension that we don't understand. No, what's going on down here is exactly what's going on up there, but just on a spiritual plane, on a more subtle and infinitely more subtle level. But what you're experiencing down here is, a, is, is, a, is, is, is part of that chain which begins above. If that's true in the way of creation, and that's Rav Shimon's Indian, so the same thing it is with Tyra. What Rav Shimon is going to, therefore, be Iker, the Gila of Rav Shimon is, even in the cave, is what? Is that he's learning Nigla. But Rav Shimon learning Nigla in the cave, the Nigla, the revealed Tyra, of, uh, the revealed Tyra would, represent, would be reflective of the revealed world. And the 
secrets of Torah will be reflective of the higher world. The main chiddush of Reb Shimon is not to learn secrets of Torah by itself. And the main chiddush of Reb Shimon is not to learn the revealed Torah by itself. That, that's not the main chiddush of Reb Shimon. The main chiddush of Reb Shimon is what? Is to learn niglas, to learn halacha, but to realize, to find the secrets of Torah in the halacha. And that is, is how, how, within Chabad Chasidis, that's the tradition of what the Balatanya means. It doesn't mean that he was just learning Nigla just because it's more text and more volume. The, the way Rib Shimon was learning halacha in the, in the cave for 13 years was every single halacha to be able to learn it in its halachic form, but also to be able to find within it the secrets of Torah contained within it. And the reason why Rabbi Shimon is Davka trying to learn in that way is because that's his whole inyan, is to unite what's above with what's below and to show how this world down here is nothing more than a reflection of the world above. Not two separate universes that somehow you can maybe somehow figure out a way to, uh, uh, to cross over. No, no, no. Nigla and Nista are absolutely one. And that's, and that's just, as just as the higher world and lower world are one, so to in Torah, the secrets of Torah and the halachas of Torah are absolutely one. And this is ultimately what makes, what makes the Zara Kaddish and what makes Rav Shimon, Taras Rav Shimon, extremely potent and powerful, as we'll see in a second, is this Nakuda, is that there's no longer, there no longer should be a divide between the world of Said and the world of Halacha. They have to be seen as one cohesive entity. To the extent that a person thinks of Halacha as one thing, and secrets of Torah as something else, basically what you're saying is that this world is one place, and the world is another place, and, and that's it. That's exactly the opposite of what Rashimin is coming to the world to reveal. So Shimon is not, is not learning in the cave Davka's secrets of Torah, and he's not learning the cave only Nigla by itself. He's learning Nigla in a way that he's finding the secrets in the Halacha. And this is what we find in the Zarkadish. There's a line in the Zarkadish where he says, Shimon says, that, that you should know every single line of Mishnah, so Shimon says, contains within it secrets of Torah. As he says, and that's the ultimate level where a person is able to see the secrets of Torah in Nigla, because that's a reflection of what really Rishimin is here to do. So that's what we see for Rishimin. Now, based on this idea of what Rishimin is coming to do to unite the higher world and low world, to show that this world is a reflection of the, of the higher world, so we find something very unique also with Rishimin. Okay, so we'll go a little bit out of order over here, but you'll see what I mean. Take a look at Marmokka number four. Okay, so this is a Gemara in my cut, and I've, I've mentioned, I've quoted this Gemara before, uh, previous Shiram, but you'll see where we're going with this. So the Gemara says like this it's a story in the Gemara Maikad. We're not going to go through all of it, but just a little bit of a, of a taste of what this Gemara is telling us. So, Testament Bays in Maikad. So the Gemara says like this The Gemara says, the Maisa, that Shimari Chai once told his son, Rabbi Lazar, he tells him, Amr Anshei told his son that he should go travel to some particular tzaddikim, Tanoim. And he told him they're Anshei Tzura. They're men of Tzura. It's an interesting description. They're men of um, stature. Men of stature. Men of Tzura. Zil You should go to them to get a bracha. As he says. So, Gemara says, Amaisa, Amr And eventually, so Rebbe goes to these uh, Tanoim, Anshei Tzura. And the Tanoim give him the following bracha. And this is the bracha. Yehirava de Tizra Sechza. May it be Hashem's will that you should plant, but you should not reap. You should not reap. Tayav Loitethuk, you should go in, but you shouldn't come out. Tepuk Vloitayal, you should go out, but you shouldn't come in. Lecher Vesech, your house should be destroyed. Velesevushbizech, and you should be forced to uh, 
to go around as guests by other people's homes. Your your parnasa should be all, you know, not organized, not mesudar, it should be uh, upended, and you shouldn't see a a new year. (laughs) That's a... Okay, that's quite the bracha. So Kiyos Lagebe Avua, so the Gemara says that when Shimon came back to his father, so Amr Lay, so he says to his father, uh, not only did they not give me a bracha, they, they gave me tsar, they gave me curses. Amr Lay, so Shimon said, no, no, no. All brachas. And then he goes on to explain how each line is in fact a bracha. When they said, when they told you that you should plant but not harvest, it means toilet banim. Means that you should plant. Means that you should have sons. musu, and they shouldn't die. In other words, you should plant sons, and they should go out and have their own families. You should plant and not harvest, not take it back in. They should go and, and continue. It means that you should. Um, when they said, for example, you should go in and not go out. It means tal kalsa It means that you should bring in a daughter and daughter-in-law to your family, and uh, they should remain married and healthy and well, and she shouldn't leave. You know what I'm saying? So that's what it means, to go in and not to go out. And so on and so forth. He keeps on continuing that each one means a remez to a particular bracha. Okay, that's the Gemara. All right, so uh, the, this is the, the obvious question is, why would these chachamim, dafka, give a bracha in such a way where it's uh, in a roundabout way where it sounds like curses? So the marsha over there in the Gemara explains that it must be that l'chadude, uh, that they were trying to... Uh, to sharpen Rabbi Lazar's mind. We find this in a few places in the Gemara, in fact, where a certain, um, certain Amaroyim, we find this in particular with Rabbah, happens to be with Rabbah and Abai, but uh, there's certain Amaroyim that they would have a style of maybe saying something, not incorrect, 100%, but saying something a little bit off or sounding a little bit funny, just to get the Talmudim to think, you know, to question it and to think about it, to sharpen their minds. So says the Marsha, maybe that's what's going on over here as well. They're giving a brachas in this way, to force the Lazar to think about it more. That's the Marsha. The problem is, that, okay, that's one thing if it's a Rebbe to a Talmud. Uh, Rebbe is coming for a bracha. What's this Indian of having a sharp mind for brachas? You don't have a sharp mind for learning, I understand. But like, why should I have to use my sharp, why should I have to sharpen my mind to figure out what bracha you're giving me? You want me to use my sharp mind because you're my Rebbe and you, and, and you have a responsibility to make sure I'm thinking deeper about the learning that you're, that you're showing me. I'm not just like, you know, just listening with half an ear. So you want to make sure that I'm listening intently so you'll say something a little bit funny to get my attention to make sure I'm concentrating and thinking deeply. But giving a bracha, why all of a sudden now should my mind be so sharp to analyze the bracha that you're giving me? That's the Marshaz Peshat. Okay, let's, so let's explain based on what we just saw through Shimon, this idea. And let's, let's un, first of all, to understand why the brachas would be said in such a way where they sound like curses. And why is Rav Shimon so impressed by this, but it's Rav Shimon also the one to translate these blessings into actually blessings. So take a look at Marmaka number two. Okay. This is a, a cloth from Rav Tzaddik. I've mentioned this before. Rav Tzaddik is giving us a principle about, you know, he mentioned blessings and curses. So Rav Tzaddik is talking about how, how is it that negative things take place in the world, right? The Gemara says that a person, you know, Right? For positive things, we have to thank Hashem. And even for negative things, we have to thank Hashem. So what, what's the mechanics, says Ritzel, like, what's the mechanics of how a negative thing happens in a person's life? So the way we think of it is that the Rabbanu Shlom, when the Rabbanu Shlom is giving to you, 
it means that good things are coming into your life. He's giving. The Rabbi Hashem gives you good things. And when something bad is happening, God forbid, in a person's life, it means Hashem is not giving something to you, right? So a person has parnasa, it means Hashem is giving you parnasa. A person doesn't have parnasa, it means Hashem is not giving you parnasa. That's the way it goes. But it says it's like, no. It says it's like, like this. But I say makim zman nefesh. At that particular place, time, or person that the Rabbana Shalom decides, for whatever reason, that the person has to go through something difficult, Says the way the when the Rabbanu decides a person has to go through a difficulty, it's not the pshat that the Rabbanu then says, okay, so how am I going to get this person, God forbid, to go through a difficulty? So I'll hold back shefa, you know, hold back shefa, and then my, when I hold back that blessing, so the person is going through a difficult time for a reason. But that's not the way, that's not the mechanic. Says Ratzel, like, no. The way it works is that the Rabbana Shloilam always gives. But the Rabbana Shloilam, if he gives and you have the, the vessels to receive, that's what we call blessing. But when the Rabbana Shloilam gives you so much more than you have the proper, proper vessels to receive, then you experience it as if, as if it's a curse, as if it's the opposite of giving. So the, cla- the classic Mishalm I've given before. No, everyone knows that uh, a little bit of light that your eyes are able to receive allow you to see. But to shine, when you shine a flashlight in someone's eyes before their pupils are you know, dilated, able to, to receive that level of light, the person is blinded by that light. So, so, so you see that although light is able to illuminate the eyes to allow you to see, that's only when you have the vessel to receive that amount of light. But when there's so much light and you don't have the vessels to receive it, then quite the opposite. Not only do you not, re- not, not experience the full light that's being offered to you, but it, it overwhelms the vessels that you, that, that you have, and you have nothing left. And that's, that's, not, that's true with light, and that's true with all blessings in this world. The Rabbana Shalom always, that the, the, the blessings the Rabbana Shalom gives us always has to be in measure with the vessels that we have. If it's in measure with the vessels that we have to receive, then we'll experience that shefa in a positive way. But if the Rabbanu Shalom gives us more than we have kalim to receive, then we'll experience it as if, then our vessels will be overwhelmed by that and we'll experience it as the opposite. So for example, when a person struggles with parnasa, it's not the pshat, the Rabbanu Shalom, for this guy or for that moment, he's giving parnasa, and for this person in this moment, he's not giving parnasa. It's the opposite. For this person, in this moment, Hashem is giving parnasa that fits with his vessels to receive. And for this person, the Rabbanu Hashem is giving that bounty, that blessing of divine energy, which should materialize in parnasa more than his kalim are able to receive it. And then what happens is, he ends up with nothing. Because he doesn't have the, 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 the kalim to receive that light. And the vessels, uh, you know, so to speak, break because of the abundance of energy that's being funneled into him. So he experiences it as nothing. Now all this is God's decision. The Rabbana Shalom sees fit that he should experience a difficulty in Parnassah, but the way but the way it works is that there's light being given, there's energy being given to him, and he has vessels to receive it. And the problem is there's an abundance of light that doesn't fit his vessels, 
And so Mamela, we the person experiences it. The, the person experiences a shattering of those vessels, kilo, and he ends up with nothing. Listen to how Rav Selig says it again. So Ba'isim welcomes man nefesh shenish b'hapiroyin u'scharish l'Hashemis baruch mitzad riboy hashefa. When the Rebbeinu Shalom decides in this person's life to give an influx of shefa in a way that's more than the person has vessels to receive, then it becomes then the person experiences it as something actually negative. Like too much, uh, like if you put a, a light bulb in a, in a watt, in a, in a voltage that's too high for it, it busts. So kalim are only able to receive light if they're able to fit with that light. But if it's too much light, then the kalim busts. Same thing over here. The chayin omer chazal al-pasik. And what says this is what we find in chazal. The pasik says, that, a person, that the Rebbe says, no one can see me and live. But Chazal say, so you can't see Hashem, so to speak, a revela- divine revelation that the, to a certain, whatever level, is impossible when you're alive. But the moment of death, the Neshama perceives uh, a strong revelation, revelation of God's presence. Why? It says Ritzel, like, that's how death takes place. Death takes place through the Rabbana Shalom injecting in that person such a influx of divine light where not only a little aspect of his vessels can't receive it, his whole, his entire, his entire, his entire life can't receive it. And so in Mela, there's death, but the death doesn't come because the life is being taken away. Death comes because too much life is being invested in that body, and the body can't receive it. So automatically, there's death. V'lochen Amr Chazal says, or Tzadik, this is also why Chazal say Shematzu Kruvim Maurim that by the time of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, the Kruvim were 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 uh, embracing one another. So he says, It must, now we know that if the Beis Hamikdash is being destroyed, obviously the Jewish people are not doing God's will. But the problem is we know that the Kruvim were embracing only when the Jewish people were doing Hashem's will. So what's going on over here? Why would the Kruvim being embracing at that moment? He says, Because says Ratzadik, when the Kruvim are embracing, that's a reflection of the Rabbanu Shalom investing a tremendous amount of divine light to the Jewish people. And says Ratzadik, and that's exactly how the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Not because Hashem withdrew His presence, Adarab, quite the opposite. Hashem sent an influx of His presence to such a degree that the Beis Hamikdash and the Jewish people couldn't handle it, and that created a busting of the vessels. And that's exactly how the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. If you had the proper vessels, then you can receive an amazing amount of light at that time. If your vessels can receive it. And that's why Mashiach is born on Tishabav. The, the, the birth of Mashiach on Tishabav is that on Tishabav there's an, a tremendous influx of the light of redemption, but the problem is we don't have the vessels to receive it, so we experience it as the opposite of redemption, because our vessels of redemption are completely destroyed by that influx of light. But if we had big enough vessels, then we, re, we would experience redemption itself. That's the idea. What's, yeah. What's the so, no, so it doesn't always. B'derach klal, the Ravana Shalom always makes sure when things are running smoothly and properly, a person deserves it. The Ravana Shalom sends light that's in measure with your vessels. But when a person, for whatever reason, is experiencing something difficult, it's because the Ravana Shalom has decided, whatever the Cheshbainas are, that, he, that the Ravana Shalom is now sending a tremendous amount of light to your life in which that your vessels can't can handle. And that's where difficulty comes from. Now this idea, this idea that Ratzavik is, is telling us is 
predicated on one basic assumption. And, it's, and these are the terminologies we've been talking about, which is there's light and there's vessels. And these are two separate realities, two separate experiences. There's the energy, so to speak, that the Ravana Shloylam, the light, Kiviachal, that's in the higher world that God wants to give you. And then there's the vessels that you have, so to speak, in the lower world that you have to receive that light. So sometimes they match, and God forbid, sometimes they don't match. And if they match, that's called blessing. And if they don't match, that's called curses. But all of this is predicated on this Yisoid, which is that iris and kalim, lights and vessels, spiritual and physical, higher and lower, this, same, this dynamic, are different things. And therefore you could have uh, you know, a certain amount of one and a lesser amount of the other. This is exactly what Rav Shimon comes to reveal the deeper truth, which is there's no distinction between light and vessels. Now let me, let me explain. Take a look at Marmokah number three. Okay? This is a piece from the also Sefer Tanya in Perachavav. And the Tanya is echoing, no, well, the, Tanya came before Rav Tzadik, so I guess Rav Tzadik is echoing the Tanya, but there, he's saying a similar idea to what the Rav Tzadik just said, but you'll see how, how the Tanya sort of explains it, and it'll, it'll bring us back to, to Rav Shimon's Tyra. Says the Tanya, right? We know that a person, even in difficulties, and uh, it's, easy, it's easy to talk about, a person has to say, so what does it mean, Gamzul Taiva? What does it mean that a person is going through something difficult? This is also good. So on a simple level, this is also good means it's for the best, it's going to be shown somehow it was Kadai. But says the Tanya, no, no, Gamzu Lataiva. This experience right now, really, in, its, in truth, is what? Is an influx of divine light in my life. Gamzu Lataiva. Rak, Shainan Niglas Veneris Lane Basarat. But the only issue is that I can't see it, I can't perceive it. The light that's coming into my life right now is imperceptible to my vessels. My vessels, which is defined based on the level that I am in this world, I'm not able to receive that divine light which is coming to me from the higher world. There's a disconnect. There's too much light coming into my vessels. There's the hidden world, so to speak, where the the light of Hashem is pulsating into my life. And then there's the revealed world that I'm living in, the world of my vessels. And, and right now, the revealed world that I'm living in, the world of, uh, of my vessel, so to speak, the world that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm trying to receive is not matching up with that higher world. It's too much. And says the Tanya, in Hashem's name, we also find this dynamic. That in Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, I've mentioned this many times, Yudke Vavke is Rosh Tevis, Yismuch HaShemayim, Vesagel HaAretz. Yudke Vavke. So the name of Hashem is also Yudke represents what? The higher world. It represents the world of light, the world of that's hidden. It's Yudke. Yismuch Hashemayim. And then you have Vavke. Vavke means the world of your vessels, the world of Amadizgalia, the revealed world. And there's the higher world, there's the lower world. That's Yudke, and that's Vavke. And so he says the, the Rabbana Shalom is always is always giving light. The problem is that sometimes your Vavke is not in measure with your yudke, and that causes problems. Shum shem havaya. Valma diskasi hu yudke. The hidden world is, is the shem yudke. Vizesha kosam. That's the meaning of the pasuk. It's an amazing teaching. Ashri hagever. It says in pasuk, praiseworthy is the person. Asher tiyastrenu ka. That Hashem gives him yisurin. So, first of all, why why is it such a 
such a bracha, <laughs> and why is Hashem that pasuk is Yudke? Why not? There's a million. There's a lot of names we can use for Hashem. Why Tiasrenuka? Says the Tanya, that's the meaning. All Yisurin is an influx of Yudke in your life, but what's missing is Vavke. The Vavke of your life is not fitting with the Yudke of your life. That's the thing. So the Tanya goes on. <clears throat> that's, what he, that's what he says. That Bez Hashem, when Mashiach comes, we'll skip a few lines over here, uh, three lines before the end of the paragraph. But when Mashiach comes and Yudke and Vavke will be able to re- realign and everything will configure properly, which is always reflective of Hashem, like taking the sun out of its cover, you know? Sun out of its cover means the full revelation of, of Yudke. In this world, we can't, we can't experience such, such light of the sun out of its uh, cover. But in the, in the next world where our Kalim will be fully developed, we'll be able to experience Yudke in its fullest power. Where the hidden world will be able to be revealed in full. And But this is the idea that the Tani is telling us, again, that I see it, the similar idea from Tzaddik, that we have, again, the higher world and the lower world. Higher world means Yudke, higher world means light, and the lower world means Vavke, the lower world means Keli. And so we have this, this, uh, this um, um, formula. The formula is that if the higher world in your life is... Is 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 being mashpia. If that if the light of the higher world is descending into your life of the lower world in measure of your of of your lower world, then that's called bracha. But if what's coming in from to your life from the higher world is not in measure with the lower world, then we experience that as curses. <clears throat> Based on this, let's go back to that story with the curses that. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shim was sent, you know, he was sent to receive brachas, and all of a sudden he's given curses. Those curses, take a look at Marmaka number five. So in, in the Sefer Lukute Taira from the Balatanya, so Lukute Taira is a, is a Sefer of, uh, it's all in Chumash, of Mamarim uh, that the Balatanya gave over to a select group of, of, of the Chassidim. Balatanya didn't write it, but his grandson, the Tzimach Tzedek, wrote, wrote the Lukute Taira, wrote over the Sichas and Mamarim. And in the in, in Lukute Taira, whenever you learn it, the, whenever there's brackets or parentheses, that's the Tzemach Tzedek himself. So in one of the parentheses in Parshas B'chul Kaisai, mm-hmm. so in Parshas B'chul Kaisai, Tanya is talking about this idea as well, that all the curses in Parshas B'chul Kaisai, says the Tanya, they're not really curses. What really, in, other words, in other words, what we're seeing from here is that what, what we experience as a curse is in truth blessing, but the problem is we don't have Kalim to receive it. That's exactly what's going on. So says the Tzemach Tzedek like this, Umar Shosham Pirish, Mar, the Marsha said, I'm at Gemara in Maid Kodna, when Rulazar Reb Shimon was sent to receive blessings and he's told curse, what looks like curses, says the Marsha, why would they do that? They did it in order to sharpen the mind of Rulazar. That says that Tzemach Tzedek, really based on the teaching of Reb Tzedek and based on the teaching of the Baal Tanya, it would seem more Kipshutan. You don't have to come up with some convoluted explanation of why they would do this. It was Kipshutan. What these tzaddikim were doing, were trying to, as tzaddikim were able to do, to, to what they were doing with the Rulaz of Reb Shimon is that they were trying to, to funnel into his life, to bring into his life such an incredible amount of light, such light, that even Rulaz of Reb Shimon didn't have the vessels to receive it. And now what happens when there's an influx of light 
when there's an influx of the higher world into the lower world, so to speak, Yudke into Vavke, where your Vavke is not able to receive it, so you'll experience that as blessings. Uh, I'm sorry, you'll experience that as curses, right? When there's too much light. It'll bust your kalim. But in truth, it's all light. It's all divine light. In truth, it is blessings if you have the kalim to receive it. So what they were doing is like this. They were partnering with Rav Shimon. They knew who they were talking to. They were talking to Rav Lezer Rav Shimon, the son of Rav Shimon Bar Yechai. And they knew that Rav Lezer was sent to them to receive their brachas, so to speak, by their father Rav Shimon. Now let's go back. What is Rav Shimon's inyan? As I said, the inyan of Rav Shimon is to no longer see a divide between Yudke and Vavke, to no longer see a divide between what you perceive as light versus what you perceive as Kli. No longer there to be a divide between what you perceive as the higher world versus what you perceive in the lower world. Rabbi Shimon's whole inyan is to reveal this deeper truth, which is that it's an impossibility for there to be a breakdown between these two dy- dynamics of light and Kli. Everything of this world is nothing but a reflection, a, 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 a part of that, that shame that, that starts in the higher world. To no longer see that as a, as a breakdown. This is why you'll find, again, this is a little bit in parentheses over here. I don't want to break anyone's kalim over here. So this is in parentheses. Okay? So in parentheses, the, 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 the Iker teaching of Rav Shem in, uh, in the day of Lag Baimer, when he was Nifter, it's called the Idra Zuta. Idra Rabin, Idra Zuta. We have the Zara Kaddish, Rav Shem, these were Rav Shem's teachings of Kabbalah throughout his whole life. But what was unique... There were specific tyrus that he gave over to his Talmidim in an idra, in a in a warehouse. That's the, the literal words. It's like a, in a warehouse of some sort. And so the day of Lag Bomer, the day of the Histalkos of Rav Shimon, he gave over certain secrets of Tyra, called the Idra Zuta. What makes what the, the Indian of the Idris, of the Idra Idra Zuta, again, this is in parentheses, is that Rav Shimon is coming to talk about the Indian of Tikun versus Toyu. We know in the beginning of creation, the Pasik says, the world was mamish chaos and crazy, all over the place. In the writings of, of the of the Mekubalim, starting from Shimon, Tayu is not just something that once was and then we move on. Tayu is Tayu is something that we're always constantly uh, confronting in life. The definition of Tayu is this idea where you have Kalim, you have uh, this world, and you have the higher world, you have Yudke, you have Vavke, and there's some disjointedness. And there's, some, there's too much light, too little Kli, they're not working in tandem with each other, mm-hmm. and things are chaotic because of that. So things break down, things break down because of that. The Indian of Reb Shimon, the whole tire of Reb Shimon, is built on this Yisai, which is to reveal the secrets of Tikkun. Tikkun means a perfect union and a perfect balance between light and Kli, between R and Kli between the Almadis Galia, the Almadis Gasa, between the revealed world and the hidden world, between Yudke and Vavke. Because, again, whatever that means in, in Kabbalah, we're not going into that now, but, but, but just to appreciate what the, the depth of what Rabbi Shimon is trying to reveal to us is that Rabbi Shimon is, through the tire of Rabbi Shimon, a person is able to find blessings on all levels. I'll give you an example. You know, there's a famous, there's a famous story that's recorded in the Kisveri of one of the Talmidim of the Arizal, uh, Rabbi Avram something, I think his name was, that he was a very big Ovid, and he would always, every single day, not just Tishabov, every single day he would say Nachem in Shemun Esrei to, uh, to remember the Churban Beis HaMegdash. He was very much connected to Churban Beis to, to Avelos over the Beis HaMegdash. 
And so uh, it's brought down in, in Priyat Chaim that uh, this Rabbi Avram was in Miron, Amag Baimer, and Kedarkai, who's davening Mincha, whatever it is, and he said, Nachim. And so Rabbi Shimon came to that result and revealed himself to the result. And he says, What is your Talmud doing saying Nachim on Mayantif in Miron? Doesn't he know that by me the base of Migdash is still around? And because of Rashim was very mocked on him, and he went through Tsaris because of that, this, this Rabbi Avram. So that's why you'll see in the Svarim that there's such an Indian that by, by Rabbi Shimon, there's no Golas. So what does that mean? Rabbi Tzadik already told us. How, did the, how was the base image was, was destroyed? How does that happen? Because there's so much light, but there's not enough Kalim. So what's the shot that by Rabbi Shimon there is no Chorb Mesamigdash? The answer is because the whole Indian of Rabbi Shimon is to reveal a much deeper way of looking at reality. The deeper way of looking at reality is that every, there's no dyna, there's no chilu between Aris and Kalim. It's all part of, it's all one cohesive system that starts on a plane that's very subtle, that's called spiritual, and that reality descends and materializes into a physical place. But that's called tikkun. That's called, that's called rectification. That's called fixing. That undermines any possibility for there to be anything broken. And so this is, the, this is the unbelievable source of blessing that one has by connecting to Rav Shimon. By connecting to Rav Shimon and, and believing in, 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 in Rav Shimon and believing in Lag Baimer and, 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 and connecting to Pinyin Satar in the right way, it, 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 it's, it, it, automatically you circumvent, God forbid, any possibility of, of negative things coming into your life because automatically the very, the very construct, the very, uh, the very mechanics about... Of, of how negative things can be experienced is undermined. There is no chilek. There cannot be a, a breakdown between Aris and Kalim. It, it, it's all one Indian. This is why, this is why again, like the Rashivan says in the Zara Kaddish, with my Sefer, you'll come out of Golis. And we know that the Balshemta was told by Mashiach that also Tarasa Balshem, Bifutzman Isechachutz, is also the way of coming out of Golis. So already you see a connection between the Balshem and Rashim Barichai, which is something that the Svarim Akhtashim talk about a lot. So in one of the Svarim in particular from the Pizetz Nareba in, uh, in Malvish army talks about this in great detail that the, one of the Iker, that the, the fundamental teaching of Tarasa Balshemta, of the Balshemta, is this Nakuda, which is. That Kalim themselves are made of light in that way. Then instead of thinking that there's light and there's Kalim, there's Ruchnius and there's Gashmis, there's the higher world and there's a lower world. And maybe this world is a marshal to the higher world. And you can learn about light from the vessels. But ultimately, there's these two dynamics. And because there's two different dynamics, one can overwhelm the other. But the whole inning of the Balshemtiv is to reveal that the, the ingredients of what Kalim are made of is light. In other words, it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. Not to say the Ruchnis and Gashmis are the same, but they're, they're, they're part of the same strata, they're part of the same Indian. And again, going back, this is why Rabbi Shimon in the cave, he's not learning Kabbalah, and he's not learning just Nigla. He's learning Nigla, Pi Kabbalah. Because what he's, what he's doing in the cave is trying to bring this truth to the world, which is that there is no distinction between light and vessels. What Kalim are made of light. Nigla is, Nigla, what is Nigla? What is Halacha? Halacha is the secrets of Torah intangible form. What they are is light in tangible form. It's one construct. It's not two things that one can overwhelm the other. It's literally one entity. And by doing so, this is how, this is how by a person connecting to Pima Satara, we're able to overcome Bez Hashem, with God's help, to, to connect to that place of Rav Shimon is a place that the base image was never destroyed. It's a place that goes beyond Prani. It, it, any level of difficulty that a person goes through life is because this revelation of Rav Shimon and the revelation of Al Shem is not fully revealed yet. 
and we're still in that, in that perception of toyu vavayu, of chaos, where there's Aris and Kalim, and there's this disconnect between the two of them. But as we get closer to Mashiach, and we connect ourselves more and more with the Tzaddikim, then automatically, automatically, we break through that way of thinking of reality in these two ingredients, and we get to that deeper truth of Eina Muvada, where everything is literally one Mitzias. And that one Mitzias is really the source of all blessings. This is why the Ramchal, for example, writes in a number of places in Isfarim that, you know, in order that the, one of the biggest schools, everyone, people like schools, especially this time of year, so uh, one of the biggest schools that a person has in order to uh, get out of tsaris that might come at the end of time is to connect oneself to the teachings of Rishim Barichai. Connect oneself to Pimis Atar. And by doing so, automatically you'll be saved from difficulties that might come your way. Stam, it's just this And what does that mean? So you have to know Kabbalah if you don't know Kabbalah, then not. Taurus of Shimon, again, that's the point over here. The Taurus of Shimon is not learning Kabbalah. It's not Kabbalah. It's not learning something. It's not mystical versus practical. The whole Indian of Rab Shimon, and that's where people don't understand this, this point, the Torah of Rab Shimon is. Is, is, a, is a way of looking at reality where there's no longer a divide between that which is mystical and that which is practical. What you experience practically is mystical. What is mystical is practical. There's no difference between the two. Iris is not different than Kalim. Kalim are not different than Iris. There's no difference between Yudke and Vavke. It's all one shame. It's all one divine name. We know Amalek comes to the world to disconnect between Yudke and Vavke. So that, 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 that's, that's the arch enemy of the Jewish people. So to overcome that, the whole Indian of Shimon is to bring the name together, is to, is to reveal Hashem's names and to have that name of Yud Kevavke manifest in full by giving us this idea that everything is deeper than we imagine and everything that's deep, we have more of a relatability to than we think. And that, that's, that's Taras Rav Shimon. That's what makes Rav Shimon unique. You know, so in the schus of that, in the schus of even learning and, and, and believing Rav Shimon and trying to connect them, we should all be zaycha that there shouldn't be, God forbid, in any of our lives, individually or collectively, any concept of riboyar, too much light versus our kalim. Everything should just be in tandem because in truth, everything is mamish one. And just like Mashiach was told uh, the Baal Shem, and Shimon was told by Moshe Rabbeinu, the fulfillment of those promises. Amen. Amen. Okay,